You're listening to Atheistically Speaking. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of Atheistically Speaking with your host Thomas Smith. Okay, today we are continuing the interview with at God Doesn't, James Lindsay. And uh, it, it, uh, it's going to take up a full episode. I, I looked at it and I, I really was hoping I could get in uh, some commentary and some reactions. Uh, really good comments from you guys on this one. Uh, very, very challenging, that's for sure. Um, so I, I'm still thinking this over a lot, but uh, there's not going to be any time after the rest of this interview. So I'll have to address it. I, I've already got uh, plans in the books for next week, so we'll see. Uh, we may have to let this one rest for a little bit, but don't worry. I won't forget about you and all the uh, good comments you've written. So uh, feel free to keep them coming. I think this is a very important topic Um I don't know. I guess uh, I'll be honest. I think pretty much every topic we have to <laughs> talk about on here is pretty important. Um, <laughs> but but this one's it seems to have a very wide range of responses, and it's very divisive, and uh, it's important we be able to talk about it. So I will I will not let it slip through the cracks. Maybe next week sometime I'll be able to squeeze in some some comments and stuff. But until then, here's the remainder of the interview with James Lindsay. not even to the point with some topics where we can gauge whether or not the topic's going to be civil because it's not even it's not even a discussion. Yeah, you're right. That should be a low bar, but uh but sadly I, I think you're right. It it really isn't. Um there's there are a lot of things that you you just instantly feel like you have to start <laughs> to be very cautious before you say anything because of the you know in anticipation of the uh the the barrage that might come at you. Not not to yeah, say that I and again, here I go. Like, I don't think I have any opinions that should be any sort of big deal, but it's like right when you go even venture towards certain topics at all, it can be, it's so touchy that it is frustrating. But I think Check what, your privilege, man. what, Check what, your privilege. yeah, <laughs> I can see from, I actually got told this on Twitter the other day. I can see from the picture, you know, on your, your podcast, uh, emblem here that, that you are part of the oppressor class. So you need to check your privilege, which is just, uh, you know, secular newspeak for shut up. Um, and, and this is, let's go back to the, this is a great way to go back to the thing that I wrote in my blog, since that's what you told me to talk about anyway. <laughs> um, there's that theme there, right? There's this idea that if we say gay pride or whatever, that there's this implicit idea buried in that, that some people get to be proud of who they are because of who they are, whereas other people don't. So, you know, I happen to be a straight white male and therefore I because I happen to be, I don't get to be proud of who I am. I personally am a mature adult that doesn't, you know, I know what's going on with this. I understand. I get it. And so I don't raise a lot of a fuss about that. But you've got to think there are millions upon millions of people, especially like reactionary conservatives um, evangelical Christians who are all they're hearing is you get to be proud of who you are and I don't. 
So fuck you. And once you've got that, now there's your polarization. The conversation's over. And you now have not just somebody who's happens to be, you know, working against your your efforts. You have somebody who is out to shut your effort down because they perceive a lack of fairness inherent in it. So this is again the second point is getting things saying it right. I'm proud to be gay makes people say, well, do I get to be proud of who I am? I'm not gay. Do I get to be proud of being straight? And then they hear, no, absolutely not. That's horrible. Straight pride. What a terrible thing. And they, you know, they get pissed. Oh, not everybody, but a lot of them do. They get pissed. And then they're like, oh, you need to check your privilege. And so they're just shutting down discussion. What a, what a mess. Um, instead, they could say, I'm proud to say that I'm gay. And what are they going to say back? Well, you shouldn't. So what? Who cares what you think, you know? Um, and they can I say I'm proud to say that I'm straight? Yes. Everybody should be able to own who they are and be proud of the fact that they have owned who they are. Not be proud of the fact of who they are, but that they've owned who they are and that they're willing to be that way unashamed. That's something to be proud of. That's what the word means. I think that's what the phrase means. Yeah, well I think that's a, a big deal. Yeah. I mean I think a lot of people and and when I saw the tweet, you know, uh I sort of thought like while he might, you know, he has the technicalities going off of that you've illustrated um, that, that may be important. But my thing was like, well, this does, shouldn't be a priority. <laughs> it's not, I think that's what maybe a lot of people are, are saying and wh- where a lot of the anger comes from is like, of all the things to talk about, like this shouldn't be a big deal. This is a group that's been marginalized, et cetera, as you've, you outlined yourself in your post. I mean, I don't, I don't think you're not conscious of it, but, but it's like, I think that's where it comes from is like, why, why are you picking on something that really is just a group that's just sort of getting on its feet in this country? Um, and, and he's criticizing how they're expressing themselves. And I think it's just seen as a very, as a very hostile thing. Um, and I'm not saying that's right. I, I think that, I understand it, but I, I, I'm not going to call anyone a homophobe based on this. You know, that's the part I don't get. When, when you go a step further and start getting all personal about what, you know, Pete has in his head and that's the part that always gets me where people assume they know what someone's thinking better than they know. That, that's the part that gets me about this. That happens a lot. Well, you know, he is a homophobe and he just doesn't even know it. Like, because, you know, that's always funny. But but uh, so that's where I would draw the line if I'm trying to middle, as I usually do. <laughs> um, I think that I probably if I were Pete, I wouldn't have bothered <laughs> because it is a can of worms. But if he's if he's wanting to venture out there, um, I do think that you're right, that people are shutting down the conversation. And let's say let's say uh, I mean, even if we were to assume that um, Peter Bogosian was some sort of like homophobe and was like you know, just a terrible person inside or whatever. Like, is this response going to help? I mean, is the response of, of kind of ridicule and assuming a bunch of things about what he's saying that are not necessarily what he's saying? Like, I don't think that helps even in the worst case scenario that he was some sort of horrible person. Like, I, I think that it's, it's odd that that's the response because even if they're right, even if they were right about him, I mean, it's, not, it's not, is he going to listen to that? Like this hostile personal language that's not for all he's doing is asking a question. Like, I don't think that's uh, a proper reply. So basically all I was saying was that I don't, I think what he said was a bit maybe unwise and insensitive, but I understand you say maybe he's doing some sort of experiment. 
Um, if that's the case, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll wait the uh, peer reviewed results of his experiment. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I, I disagree with the, uh, the reactionary, uh, reaction, I guess you'd, you'd say. So, no, I mean, there's two things there. Um, the reactionary, like you said, doesn't, I mean, it's more likely through that same dissonance reduction channel through the fact that it makes, uh, somebody like Pete likely to be less likely to, to interact. Um, it does shut down that line of communication. And so that's a problem. The other thing is, is Pete could be, and he's, he's not as to the degree that I know him, of course, um, he could be the most raging, you know, bigoted person on the planet. And it wouldn't necessarily change the truth or falsity of what he says. We call that ad hominem. Um, if he happened to absolutely hate gay people and say that he doesn't understand gay pride, but his context was still in the context that he offered it in, there's still a legitimate discussion to be had until he goes into genuinely kids table stuff using his ideological bias instead of his willingness to have a philosophical discussion until he goes there, there's still a discussion to be had no matter who he is. And so there's that second layer there. Um, before the sound got weird, I also I remembered you hear I remembered hearing you say something like, you know, it'd be easy to interpret, and you said you didn't agree with it. I think um, that he was being critical and unfair. But there's another way to look at that. The other way to look at it is that he was, you know, poking at something that should actually help the the, the people. Again, is that saying what we mean thing? Because um, when it comes to say gay pride or, or being being gay in general in the United States or a lot of the other parts of the world right now, you have to deal with with a religious agenda, the Christian agenda here, um, and evangelicals especially. And they see pride as a sin, and they see homosexuality as a sin, and they have this whole narrative about how people who are gay are doing so in pride and vanity to reject God. Why are you going around saying that you are proud to be gay if that's what they're trying to use against you? If your reason is to join up with a group, whether it's leftists or progressives or liberals or gays or gay allies or whoever or whoever you think you're joining up with, that's its own kind of problem because now we're playing this like ideological tribe game, you know, the us and them. And so, again, say what we mean. If we say what we mean, that we're proud to own who we are and to say who we are openly despite any adversity that's presented to us by our social uh, situation – then we're no longer running into that problem. It's saying what's true instead of what's ideologically expedient. And we have an obligation to say what's true if we're trying to sit at the adult table instead of what's ideologically expedient because we want to try to sort things out. So again, if we take this seriously, maybe it's just a distraction. I don't think it's just semantics because words mean things and the way we use them matter. Um, we really should be careful to say what we mean here. And if what gay people have to be proud of is standing up to a society that hasn't treated them really well, they should say so. They should be proud to say that they're gay. It adds, like I said, one syllable to yeah. the phrase. It has a good ring to it. Saying in gay rhyme, so it has a nice ring to it even. So, you know, people were like, you can't say unashamed because that doesn't have a nice ring. You can't say authentic because that doesn't have a nice ring. Okay. I'm proud to say I'm gay. That does have a nice ring to it. There's no, you know, even, you know, what do you call it? Uh, cosmetic problem with the phrase. Um, and to your point, um, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, I haven't read everything, of course, but in the responses I've read, I haven't really heard anyone address that point. So 
lost in a reactionary response is this idea that you're talking about. I mean, it would be, I'm totally okay if someone still wants to shut that down that idea. If someone wants to say, look, uh, you know, I don't know what the reasoning would be, but, uh, uh, you know, it's not just that we're proud that to say we're gay, we're also proud, whatever the reasoning would be. If someone wanted to actually address that point, we could talk about their reasons for that. Instead, what's happened is it's all about like, you know, this guy doesn't even understand. We're proud because we're out in the society. And all of it has missed the point that you raised, which maybe it would be better to say that you're proud to be out or proud to say you're gay versus uh, proud to be gay. Maybe, maybe that would be or maybe not, and it's something to talk about. But to to my knowledge, I don't know what you think. I haven't seen anyone even talk about that as a result. That's it. It's something yeah. to talk about. That's what that's what matters here is that we're able to have these conversations, that we're able to be open about things and talk about them, setting aside the outrage that comes up from our ideological biases. Um, if that's all we're going to work with is is that set of, of beliefs, you know, of sacred ideas, secularly sacred ideas, then, then people aren't having discussions. This is just not a conversation. What they're doing is they're having a pep rally and a demonstration. There's a place for those, but, you know, don't pretend that it's a discussion. And the place for those usually is to whip up one team to try to beat another team, which is, again, that us versus them thinking that's not reaching across. It's not bringing people across. Um and I understand that there's a lot of frustration and a lot of, you know, giving people a lot of desire, I should say, to give people who won't get on board with with what seems to be obvious decency. There's a big desire to want to give those people the finger. I get it. Um, and maybe, you know, there's even space for that. Maybe there's even space to to raise that middle finger up and and sometimes hit those emotional buttons, you know, in the defiance that you're fighting against an unjust system. But you've got to realize that that can't be the basis of the conversation. That's not a conversation. That's something else that belongs in one place. Conversations belong in another place. Um, yeah, I, I think you said it. I mean, I was going to say, and until I think you, you, you probably said it better, but it, people are very good at riling up their side and less good at actually changing anyone's mind. And and I think what will happen is is uh, everyone will defend it by saying, well, sometimes that does change someone's mind. If I mock, if I ridicule the other side, you know, there is a percentage of people who respond to that. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that even oddly enough, I think that's, you know, Dawkins will say that sometimes and people will say that about Dawkins, like he's a firebrand, but, but that but he has converted quote unquote people over to atheism. And so it does work sometimes, but at the same time, I think there's gotta be some sort of balance of, of people actually taking time to reach across uh, to change anyone's mind. Otherwise I don't see how anything changes. If you're just, if you're just yelling about something to rile up people who already agree with you, I, I don't, I don't see what that does. So I, I agree with a lot religion, of points. Call that throwing rocks at the cathedral. And I feel like <laughs> people who got out of, out of it or people who are oppressed, like straight oppressed. And maybe a lot of gay people are, I think they probably are in certain parts of the country. I live in the Southeast. So I definitely see that happening here at, you know, oppression at the hands of Christians. Um, threats of being beaten for, for your one sexuality and that kind of thing, which is just completely, completely out of bounds. And so there's this desire to, 
throw and maybe it's not even just a desire maybe it is psychologically valuable and necessary to throw rocks at the cathedral but you're not building anything when you're throwing rocks at the cathedral eventually you have to be willing you can't just keep throwing rocks i guess is is the thing mm-hmm. at some point if you wanted to get productive you need to do something and think about it it's a good metaphor i think i'm very proud of that metaphor there's a pride right I, that's an accomplishment <laughs> um it's a i'm very proud of that metaphor because if imagine you really did you you escaped the cathedral that's a symbol for your religion and you turn and you throw a rock or two or 10 or a thousand rocks at it you fling rocks at it what's going to happen you might break a window you might do whatever but what's going to happen with the people inside they're going to board up the doors they're going to board up the windows they're going to retreat away from the windows they're not coming out you're throwing rocks they're going a lot of them are going to hide in. Are you going to have occasionally the person who, you know, you broke the stained glass and they see the sun, you know, they want to get poetic and say, <laughs> oh, I want to be free, too. And they come out. Yeah, you're going to have those. But those people are likely to be outliers. Um, you will cajole people. You will make people question from time to time and they're going to reevaluate their circumstances. Hmm. So that's a benefit. But in all analyses of benefits, you have to analyze costs. And if the cost is polarization and um, basically doubling both or all, if it's more than two sides of an ideological uh, position, you know, getting them to, to, to dig in their heels and double down on, on their position in defense or whatever, um, that's a cost. And so the cost and the benefit have to be balanced. And so being, Careful with how we say things is probably important to that. And then being willing to discuss it and stop throwing rocks at some point is also important to that. That's interesting though. And and uh, I, I agree with that, but it's it's very curious because I think people accuse um, Boghossian and Dawkins of that same thing as regards religion. So I just want to, I'm wondering if you are merely addressing, you know, the, the, the uh, people reacting to the gay pride tweet or if, or if, do you see a comparison there to uh, maybe more firebrand atheists um, I, I, like Peter Bogosian? I mean, I, I know people who were I, – I, I myself, I admit I didn't read the book, but I actually had someone come on and review it uh, and present it on, on the show. Um, and she said that a lot of people reacted very poorly to the – you know, to the adult table, kids table thing, like it's belittling of religion. Do you think there's uh, – Anything to be said for that? Is Bogosian um, failing to live up to that standard as regards religion at all? Or do, no, or it's like I different... already told you, Bogosian, you know, practices what he preaches. If you want, if you want to put it that way, um, since we're using religious <laughs> language, uh, he's he is who he says he is. This adult table, kid table thing again. What defines the adult table? This isn't a put down. I know there's the implicit idea that, you know, kids are somehow going to be just beneath adults. But what it is, is that there's different kinds of conversations that that take place between adults and that take place between children. And it's just a metaphor. But what's the difference? The difference is that when you're having open adult conversations, you are talking about reason, evidence, and you, most importantly, his book is all about these concepts he calls doxastic openness and doxastic closeness, which are basically the willingness to change one's mind or not. Um, you have to be open to that. That's what defines the adult table. If we can even take reason and evidence off, off of it, even though evidence is, is really the epistemological arbiter that we all have to, to answer to if we want to be dealing with reality, um, even taking those off, most important of all is to be able to openly hear 
opinions and arguments that we don't necessarily agree with. That's the key. And being willing to, if those are persuasive, let those change our minds. If you want to try to convince Pete that, you know, Christianity is true, by all means, I have talked with him, you know, at fair length with about this topic. And I am genuinely sure that if somebody could present satisfactory evidence he is open to change his mind about Christianity or any other religion. Um, the thing is, you know, this good luck, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not if anyone matter. could do that. It would be a different world. So <laughs> I mean, think about, yeah, it would think about it, you, you said you didn't read his book, but right off in the first part of his book, Pete says that the point of the book isn't really to create atheists. That's a punchy title that his editor or publisher, one of the both came up with. Right. The point is to create Dossastically open people, doxastic, I say that poorly apparently, uh, open people who are willing to change their mind in light of reason and evidence after hearing arguments fairly. And the point is that if they adopt a reliable epistemological method, if they will change their mind more nearly to what's true than false. So what that means is if religion is or were true, they would become or he were we we people who are exhibiting adult table behavior would become religious. If it is not true, they will become non-religious. And so it's a manual for creating atheists by virtue of the fact that it turns out that theism is not true. <laughs> What? Spoiler. Okay. Sorry for anyone who hasn't read the book. Spoiler alert. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's the whole point of his book. And a lot of people, I mean, the the evangelical Christians went bonkers about it, um, of course. And it's easy to read this as being belittling, but he's using these two metaphors, openness to changing one's mind by the light of reason and evidence as the adult table and the unwillingness to do so as the kids' table. And then he engages a lot of um, really good literature talking about when people are and aren't willing and able to change their minds, when they become entrenched in their ideas, when they become defensive. And there we get to the polarization part. That's where the discussions shut down. And Pete's advice actually then is don't have a discussion with people who are shut down. You can't. So don't. Um, You have to let that that locked up place kind of dissolve itself. And he advises that the closest you can come to that is to ask a lot of questions. Again, he's, he's an honest guy. He's, he is what he says. And so when he asks questions, he wants to hear the answer. He doesn't, um, he doesn't want to hear necessarily other stuff. When I told him I was reading his book, in fact, he sent me an email when I, a day or two later, and he was like, what do you think of my book? Don't lie to me. <laughs> that's what his email said. He wants, he wants to hear straight up how stuff is. Well, and I can so, really appreciate that. Um, he, it's easy to get caught up in, in the ideas, you know, the, the rhetoric in the book, which is, I think on a level brilliant, um, talking about faith being a form of pretending and talking about adults tables and kids tables. But when you, pared down what these metaphors mean instead of just getting mad at the words. There are some really, really uh, salient points in there that all come back to the main theme that we've got to be able to have open discussions in which we're willing to change our minds. Hmm. Um, 
we, you're not doing that if you're shouting stuff off the table. So you see, the, like I said, the eighth chapter of his book is addressing a lot of these, um, yeah, I don't know what the right word is, progressive or neoliberal or whatever, uh, left-wing ideological biases. And then, of course, he makes a lot of mention of, of religious biases as well, uh, which are usually not left-wing but can be. Um, so the, the whole thing is, you know, questioning one's assumptions of being willing to change one's mind. And that's the bottom of it. So it's easy to read it and get pissed without taking time to understand the points that he's making. And, you know, does that indict him as a writer? I, I don't think so. Cause I understood what he was saying. Other people may think so, but I would encourage them to engage in the principle of charity, even if they think he didn't. Again, if he was a raging misogynist, which to everything I know about him, he's not. If he were, and he were to say something, what he said is still to be evalu evaluated on its own merits. So it doesn't matter if he fails his own standard, which I, like I said, I don't think he does. But even if he did, it doesn't matter. Engage what he said and what he tried to mean by what he said. And if he was a was a, if he wrote it in a way that you don't understand, maybe ask him and ask him a question in an email. See what happens. You know, you don't have to like just start bitching at him, which seems to be what happens with a whole lot of people. Right, that's not well, a conversation. That's what gets the attention, though. Going back to the uh, the internet creating this <laughs> polarization. I mean, that's I think that's what people want on the internet, unfortunately. So I don't I don't I'm not I'm not optimistic about it. But what I would actually say that that is one of the defining traits that that probably based on a lot of the stuff I've been reading over the last couple of years, um, I would say that's a defining trait of what makes us us human. We we're righteous people. We like mm. to make things sacred. We like to set things apart that shall not be questioned. Um, we like to take our ideas and then have no other God before them. And as much <laughs> as, as you know, people who don't believe in God, it's, it's all very similar. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, from everyone's point of view, they all think they have good, you know, everyone thinks they have good reasons for believing what they believe. I guess right. uh, the key is, I, I suppose if I'm trying to, to look at it neutrally and, and take the, the meaning out of what you've said and what, you know, what's in uh, Bogosian's book, it, it sounds like the key is just remaining open uh, right. would be the key. I mean, because we all think we have it right. We all think we have the, the right reasons and everything. Um, but I, I suppose the difference is some people more actively try to shut out everything. And that, that seems to me to be a lot worse than, than remaining, than being willing to talk through things. And, and, I really hope I can say that's something I like to do here. And uh, I think um, you made a lot of great points and I, I think you're right. You've been really generous. So I think you do a pretty good job. The thing I'd say with that, based again on what I've been reading, there is no neutral. There is no neutral. Nobody's neutral. Yeah. Everybody has a flotilla of biases. And the only thing that stands between us and being destroyed by our own biases and, and maybe the metaphorical, maybe hopefully not the literal sense. Um, the only thing that stands between us and that is our ability to have conversations in which we're willing to change our minds. If we have blasphemies like saying, you know, maybe we should question the idea of gay pride and change it to gays being proud to say that they're, they're gay. If that's a blasphemy, then we're already falling away from from that ability to have a conversation. If we can't raise discussions, going back to Dawkins about 
about, you know, rape or about child molestation or about, you know, the other thing in the news is all this, this women and cat calling. And, you know, if all men hate women automatically, or if white people are an oppressor class, if we can't have conversations about these things, if to try to have them gets your privilege called into question, which is a social stigma, you're it's shutting down discussion and trying to brand people social stigmas. Um, if we're, we're at that point, then we're already losing. We're losing the ability to have open conversations. We're losing free expression um, and the freedom of expression and the thought and idea behind that is what thriving secular societies depend upon. That ongoing conversation is the definition of a secular society that's working. Yeah, I that's a big thing now privilege and check your privilege and all that. I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't gotten too much into it. Um, it's something I hear a lot and, uh, I don't, maybe I need to have someone else on to talk, to give the pro side of, of this, but I don't really see that as too terribly constructive. I guess I, I, I don't know. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? When someone, I think someone once in a comment told me I needed to check my privilege when I was talking about something. And I was like, okay, I checked. I consider that box checked. Now, what, what do I do? What is, what, what results from that? I, I never understand. Okay, that's, the, that's the thing is we all should be aware of the fact that we're all, especially here, you know, in, in the West, particular individuals based upon things that aren't fair, like race and gender and things like that, have um, structurally built-in advantages that aren't there for other people. There's there's my privilege. So what am I supposed to do with it? Well, if the reason I'm being told to check my privilege is to either shut me up or to make me agree with the person arguing with me, then we're not having a conversation. So that's a problem. If the reason is to try to enlighten me to a point that I am legitimately missing, which sometimes is the case, but as it's been when it's been told to me is often not the case. Um, <laughs> I'm aware of the point. I just happen not to agree with it. That's a di- you know that's a different thing. So if, if if you're trying to shut down conversation with with your phrases like this, if you're setting up certain certain like I said sacred ideas, whether it's the elevation of of disadvantaged people, whether it is. Uh, the elevation of socially advantaged people, there's your straight or white pride or whatever. These are, these are things that we really shouldn't be accepting as, as sacred and in working secular societies, things aren't sacred. Things are up for question. They're up to be asked about. And then we have to resort to reason to evidence. And then of course, compassion and other other motivations to try to sort things out. So what do we do with check your privilege? I think the goal when it's not to shut people up is to try to get people to realize and then start to work to dismantle social constructs that create privilege. But a lot of times, unfortunately, the people who get that phrase thrown at them are not actually doing anything particular to uphold the problem. And so it's not exactly fair. And, you know, we really shouldn't, delve into that because it's an extremely long-winded topic and a very complicated topic. And there is, like with the pride thing, there is a lot of merit to the examine one's privilege and be mindful of that when we speak. But on the other hand, when it gets wielded like a cudgel to shut people up or to make them cow to a particular point of view, all you're dealing with is, is 
you know, kind of the stuff that Orwell wrote about. It's not acceptable. You're not having conversations yeah. at that point. Well, I uh, I think I want to look more into that because I I've seen some things that uh, that have been tweeted and and um about privilege and and in your feed and and in others here and it's it's something I want to look more into. You're right; it's probably not something we should take on today. But well, the, uh, trick, the trick is, if you check your privilege, you should also be checking your assumptions because there are assumptions going into the assessments of privileges as well. And if somebody wants to say check the privilege, and I, I understand that a lot of people who use that phrase are are very aware of this. I don't want to accuse them of not being sensitive to this. But if you're going to tell people to check their privilege, the, you better look in the mirror. Um, that's what a lot of really controversial, you know, these these socially progressive um, crusaders uh, have, have raised a lot of stink about in the last few years of several examples where they have been called on this apparent. They say it's not legitimate, but that's their argument. Um, this apparent hypocrisy that they in very privileged positions are asking people to check their privilege, seemingly oblivious to their own. Um, we're not all infinitely uh, aware and compassionate and capable of of setting aside what happens to be our circumstance. And so, like you suggested, I don't know that it's the most constructive phrase, although it, like the the pride thing that you had me on to talk about, it is a phrase that has merit and has to be parsed out. It has to be like the pride thing as Pete was asking to do. It has to be disambiguated. If people aren't willing to disambiguate a phrase, if they aren't willing to discuss the assumptions underlying the phrase or the idea, then they're they're playing ideological commitments. They're whipping up a base. They are they are ideologues and they are not having conversations. Then that's that's a real problem. Um I can't say that point enough times. It's literally what this entire discussion is about when you get down to the bottom of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, we won't try to take that on anymore. I, I just, uh, I thought I'd mention it cause I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot. I just don't, I think it's like so many things that starts off as a good idea and then just becomes a catchphrase that people bandy about, you know, too easily. Um, maybe I, I, I don't know. We'll like you might be right. Um, <laughs> it's very effective for, um, introducing a different element to a conversation that is often uh, limiting in terms of it, 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 what it can do. It, it very often is presumptuous. Check your privilege, for instance, as a, as a phrase, already assumes that the person being told that is not doing it, is not being sufficiently sensitive. Yeah. And um, that's not always fair either. So... Yeah, totally. And and I think that uh as you said and just to to reiterate, I mean it's it's totally appropriate in many contexts and and it's good to know uh to have an idea and to try to listen to what other people face. I mean, when we're talking about gay pride, it's great to uh I'm I'm happy to read though I wasn't too terribly happy about the the blog posts. I'm at least happy to read Greta Christina and Chris Stedman and and learn more about what they've had to face that I haven't had to face because of who I am and how I was born. And I understand that it's just, as you said, just to, to reiterate, I mean, when it's just used as an insult, essentially, like it doesn't, it doesn't really accomplish much. Like it never makes anyone 
change their mind if you just if you just use it as this phrase to shut people up sort of like calling people you know as you said before calling people racist calling people bigoted and and just throwing it out there immediately it, it doesn't i don't know what it does it's it's well, it's just anyway. it not conversation and right. if we follow what pete wrote in his book it is very likely to cause people to dig in their heels basically you know say you could call me a racist i definitely do not identify myself as as being racist I do not want to be identified as a racist. It's deeply socially stigmatizing. And so my attitude toward you is either you're stupid or you're, you're a jackass. And now there's this enmity between us that wasn't there before. Hmm. And we're not having productive dialogue at that point. Um, yeah, it's sort of like a cheap way to get uh, the, the higher ground in a conversation. You know, it's instantly – if you if you you know call someone one of these labels, they have to be on their back foot right away, and it's like this weird tactic or something. That's the thing. Moral morals are very complicated. Societies are very complicated. Human beings are very complicated. Psychology is very complicated. There are a lot of things going on. There are a lot of things that we don't necessarily fully understand, and to jump in with stuff like that a lot of times makes a lot of assumptions that are going to catch people off guard because often they either were just making a mistake or they genuinely are being misunderstood. And then you've branded them badly. And so again, we're not having productive conversations because people are are using a word inappropriately. You can't stretch the word racist to mean somebody who disagrees with me. Um, (laughs) you, You can't stretch the word sexist to mean somebody who isn't, feeling that feminism needs to be promoted exactly the way that that I'm promoting it or somebody who made a comment that indicates that there may be genuine gender differences um, between human beings. That's not a sexist comment. That's a question, at least not necessarily a statement. I think biologically in some regards, physical traits, obviously it is usually in, in the in the average, a statement of fact, but it's a question of fact at least, which means it's merited discussion that appeals to evidence, to reason, and to willingness to change one's mind. Um, well, that's an even so, bigger can of worms, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I get your point. Well, I mean, that's sort of that's the thing, right? The, the fact that that's a can of worms, the fact that this whole discussion is dancing in a friggin' minefield, yeah. is the is is saying, look, these discussions there's something limiting us from having them. And what is it? Granted, I understand that there are very important psychological and and emotional and, and other elements to to people. We're not robots. We're not, you know, commander data from, from the star Trek show. Um, We can't turn off our emotion chip as it were, but when we are trying to parse out the truth we have to try to be as dispassionate as we can. I got kind of some criticism on my blog post saying that, um, you know, the, the person told me that if we're not sufficiently passionate, then we won't act. And so dispassion or dispassionate examination of ideas is somehow a problem. And I found this to be very, very mysterious. Mm. Um, the point is that we actually are passionate and it's very difficult not to be passionate about topics that are close to us. And so I don't exactly understand. I think, you know, the person was afraid that if we get cold and logical, then nobody will get fired up and and make any change. But you've got to watch changes 
that are coming from places that are fired up where we're not being careful with how we say things or what we're presenting. There, there, there's this place for philosophy at that point, the relatively cold or dispassionate examination of ideas for their own merits yeah. that has to have a place. Yeah, you don't see a whole lot of philosophers sounding off in the camp of, oh, shut up, stop stop what you're saying, <laughs> you know, Pagosian, stop all this tweeting. See, I was, it's interesting. I was to, to cut a joke on that, I guess, a little bit, I, I've been really hesitant. I thought about it, you know, since you emailed me the other day, or yesterday, I guess, about, about this podcast. Um, I didn't want to say philosophers. I wanted to, to try to find another way to word that because... What philosophers do, really, if you wanted to put it down to one thing that philosophers do, is philosophers argue their point. That's what philosophers do. Mm-hmm. Um, they all they are good about dispassionately examining ideas, but the the primary mo ninety five percent of the the operation of philosophy is arguing for those dispassionate observations. And so, um, philosophers tend not to shut down discussion, but it's sort of the opposite. They oftentimes Take it to, too far. <laughs> to beat words to where they hardly mean anything anymore. Yeah, well, let's so find a, a medium. <laughs> yeah, that's something that's very important, too. So, you know, we're talking about the, the context of the word pride or the connotations of the word pride in this this particular discussion. We don't want to go so far into the side of, of you know, philosoph- philosophizing, I guess, to where we strip pride of its meaning. And so that's why, you know, disambiguation is the core here. What are, okay, we're going to use the word pride. That's fine. What, where does it apply? Where doesn't it apply? Let's be careful with what we say and say what we mean. Are you proud of being how you were born? That's weird. Why can't everybody be that way? Something's, something's afoot here. You know, there's, there's an issue. Um, so what's really going on? Oh, you're proud of the fact that, and you should be, that you stood up and repelled systematic oppression. Awesome. Yes. Please be proud of that. You deserve it. You know, clap on the back and everything else. Um, but say what you mean. You're proud to say you're gay. Great. And so there's, you know, the difference there where we've no, we haven't beaten the word out of meaning. That's sort of that medium that, that, that we got to look for. We have to find what the word actually means and apply it correctly. And again, like I said, that disarms a lot of the being careful, whether it's this phrase or another phrase, or it doesn't matter what the phrase is, being careful and being accurate with what we say, the more the more accurately we express the ideas that we intend to express, the more disarming it is to people who would use our words against us. Right. Um, this, of course, is a perennial problem. You have ideologues, evangelical Christians are many of them who are extraordinarily anti-gay for very bad reasons. And um, they are extremely motivated to, to use whatever they can against you. And if they, if they have a thing about pride and they have a thing about homosexuality and they think you're homosexual already in pride, maybe, you know, rethinking the wording is of course, I mean, it's very complicated with them too, because they, they think you can like pray gay out of people and all kinds of ridiculous (laughs) things. So it's a choice and they have campaigns and camps and, all kinds of, they would set up hospitals for it if they could get away with it, or maybe they have, I don't know. But at any rate, you know, you don't want to play into your opposition's agenda if you're trying to create an effective social or political movement. So the funny thing is, you know, Greta Christina, to bring her back up, Chris Stedman, to a lesser degree in a sense, you know, responded very 
very harshly to Pete, where he was essentially trying to work maybe a bit coolly in terms of his manner, but trying to work in a way that should actually benefit their effort, which, you know, there's this tendency once people become ideologues and maybe this is what was going on. Maybe it wasn't, but they tend to, they tend to eat their own. We talk about it in terms of the so-called atheist world as being um, infighting. There's a lot of infighting. Oh, the atheism group over here is arguing with the Twitter atheists and and they hate the, the blog atheists and whoever, you know, and, this is this isn't necessarily. Uh, it's just a mess. Um, it's not necessarily infighting. It's it's discussion about ideas where certain ideas have become sacred to certain groups, so that they can't even see that their allies are their allies because they've blasphemed against some, mm. you know, sometimes minor, sometimes significant point of view. And that's a, again, not a conversation. Yeah. It's a big problem. Yeah, I think that uh, I think we're gonna have to wrap it up. Uh, I think that, yeah, sure that put a good summary on it. Um, I uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the points you've made. And and uh, I I always encourage everyone on this show, uh, or rather, everyone listening to the show, to voice their disagreement and to to comment or whatever. So I'll I'll be curious uh, what people have to say about these. Uh, uh, this this interview and 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 if people disagree, I'm very curious uh, what their disagreement is. We'll have to we'll have to find out. I'll let you know if there's any. Uh, get, I'll forward you anything that that, that seems interesting. I'm not sure if I should thank you for that. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, not um, everything. I just mean if there are good. any good I mean, points. I do want that... to hear your opinions, but it's just like the the angry blog posts. Uh, I'm not really interested in in hearing people vent. I right, yeah, have, yeah. No. I am married. I have children. I hear enough. <laughs> I know that with um, my wife and kids and with my other friends and family that when they need to vent, what you do is you let them vent and often you don't really need to say a whole lot back. And so that will be the response is that I will not say a whole lot back. <laughs> um, in fact, I probably won't say anything back if people are, are venting off their, their dissonance and, you know, if they have dissonance, maybe that's good because they've at least been confronted with, I hope, a gen, what is clearly a genuine expression of an idea that apparently didn't jive with how they feel. Um, I don't mean to upset anybody. And, of course, you know, the normal caveats have to be deployed. You know, certainly gay people, other people facing serious social adversity should all live without shame. They should all be proud to have overcome all the enormous challenges that they have to deal with. They should be very proud of being able to own who they are in face in the face of that adversity, that challenge. Yeah. So maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll edit that into a loop and just play it like every five minutes. Just play that for like <laughs> yeah, like two. Just put it in the background like subliminal. Yeah. Or something. Um, yeah, with the, like a weird play reverb. Some, like, hypnotizing yeah. music over it. <laughs> They'll zone out and crash their cars. Yeah. No, don't. Oh my god. Um, uh, yeah, no, I didn't mean I was going to forge you a bunch of vitriol or anything. I was just going to say if, if there's any interesting questions, I might, I might see if you want to comment on them, but of course, uh, you're under no obligation, but, uh, yeah, okay. of course. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. And I hope to, uh, to have you again on, uh, sorry, I hope to have you on again sometime soon. I hope you have, have me on again too. We'll talk about this atheism stuff, uh, cause <laughs> I've got a lot to say about, 
uh, atheism as a thing and atheism as a community as well. And a lot of people don't agree with me on that. And so, oh well, okay. Tune in. If we'll have spoiler alert. Or no, uh, what a preview for next time. Preview, yeah, for for next time. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and thank you so much, James, again for coming on. Um, it's been a while since I've thanked my patrons, so i got to make sure to do that. So let's see if we have any new ones. I'm not totally sure because I think I uh, missed a week because of weird um, timing stuff with the recording. But uh, Eric Johnson, not sure if I've mentioned, but uh, thank you, even if I have or haven't. Who cares? Jeremy Christian and Eric Mac Davis. Thank you guys so much. New patrons. Okay. Now I have to thank my all-time faves. Adrian Borschoff, Jonathan Moyer, Havard S., John P., Bangs Naughty Bits, Michael, Peter Skelton, Katie Quiznos, <laughs> James Rohr, Brian Garefort, Dale, Cincy Farmer, Jeremy Sharp, Jim, Matt Garrett. Thank you guys. Thank you. I love you guys so much. Every every episode is a pleasure to do for my fine patrons, all of you, uh, sincerely. And uh, I was going to do a, an iTunes review of the of the week um, for this month because <laughs> I haven't done one in a while. And I looked on; I don't have any new ones. So come on, guys, throw me someone, throw me a review that I can go ahead and read on the show, and uh, it'll be fun. You know, we'll, we'll all benefit. All right. Thank you guys so much. And again, like I said, I, I want to get some commentary going on this one, uh, but but hopefully next week could be maybe not. So we'll see. But uh, don't worry. It won't be forgotten. I will drum it up again at some point and I'm um, saving uh, comments and everything. So uh, thank you guys for that. And feel free to keep those comments coming. Uh, good discussion on the Facebook. So check that out. All right. I will see you guys next week. Atheistically speaking out. Mm-hmm.